QuickMed Claims presents the Board and Collar 10Q30. We pose 10 questions to emergency medical service leaders from across the United States on key matters affecting EMS nationwide. You'll find their unique responses interesting and thought-provoking, all in 30 minutes. Your host, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harbath. Good day, everyone. It's great to have so many of you with us today. Glad you're here. And with us today is Chuck Hemian. Chuck is the director of the EMS uh, division for the Dairy Fire Department. He's been there since 2005. Uh, we're glad to have Chuck. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of bio of Chuck here. I think it's uh, pretty incredible what this uh, gentleman has done so far. Uh, first off, Chuck, thank you for your service. He's uh, uh, retired from the U.S. Marine Corps, and we really appreciate all our veterans. Uh, Chuck began his career with the Dairy Fire Department folks back in 1981. And of course, like many of us on the line today, just fell in love with the EMS stuff and it just became part of his fiber. I'm sure just like many of us here today, um, he held a number of positions, both clinically in hospital and outside the hospital. Uh, he accepted a position with the New England EMS Institute in 2002 as their program coordinator. Uh, and has been the, uh, assist, accepted the director of EMS position at Dairy Fire in 2005, overseeing the EMS division of the department. Uh, he is currently responsible for, responsible for EMS billing and revenue, education, CQI, certification, and licensure of all department members. Uh, he oversees the community risk education programs such as heart safe dairy, substance abuse, substance misuse education, and Narcan dis distribution, as well as fall risk reduction and the Stop the Bleed campaign. Um, he's recipient of numerous awards, Paramedic of the Year, Educator of the Year, and one of the most proud is the New Hampshire Connor Honor in 2011, awarded each year to one of the individuals for their unremitting heartfelt dedication to EMS. Chuck, welcome, and we're glad to have you. Now that we can see you, thanks for coming today. Thank you, Gary. You know, I always love talking about my community uh, my town and uh, my fire department and my love of emergency medical services. Well, great. Chuck, for starters, this is a 30 minute presentation. So we're going to go through these questions rather quickly, but feel free to go off script if you need to at any time. But let's just start. Tell us a little bit about dairy and the overview of your organization, if you would, please. Oh, I would be happy to. Uh, so dairy, New Hampshire's nickname is actually Space Town because this is the birthplace of Alan Shepard and also the, the uh, homestead of poet Robert Frost. As I look back at the history of the Derry Fire Department, what I learned is back in February of 1970, the Derry Selectmen at that time established an ambulance service for the town, and they actually acquired it from a local funeral service. So prior to 1970, ambulance service was provided by a local funeral home. Uh, Derry's approximately 36 square miles. Uh, we have 33,700 residents. We're probably the fourth most populous community in New Hampshire. We also have two contracted communities in which we provide EMS transport services and communications contracts uh, for both Chester's and Auburn, which adjoin Derry. So that really gives us about 90 square miles, 44,000 residents in which we're responsible for. We do around 3,600 EMS responses each year, and we transport somewhere around 2,750 uh, to local hospitals in our area. Well, great. It's quite the service. And uh, I know in speaking with uh, some of the folks, uh, both from New Hampshire and outside the state, uh, your name holds a lot of water. You're, uh, 
You're a great guy and a great advocate for emergency medical services, not only in your own town, but across the state. And of course, all of us thank you for that. We we need more cheerleaders like you. So Chuck, about your staffing, can you give us a little bit of detail as far as how you staff your trucks, how many units you have out there and how they are staffed for both uh, for the type of work you do? Absolutely. First of all, uh, Derry has an outstanding, very supportive fire chief and Mike Gagnon and assistant chief uh, Jim Richardson. And I got to tell you, it's truly my pleasure uh, to be part of their team. And that has allowed us to really build what I consider to be a premier EMS agency. Derry Fire has a long history being a very desirable location uh, for EMS providers, particularly paramedics. One of the interesting questions I asked during the interview process, I will always ask, do you consider yourself a paramedic firefighter or a firefighter paramedic? And I get some very interesting responses to that. They usually get a pause and then they know they're interviewing for a paramedic position, so they'll tend to say paramedic firefighter. But I really want to emphasize the fact that we're an EMS agency that occasionally does fire. We take the EMS agency component of that very, very seriously. We have 66 full-time employees. We operate by battalion. We have four battalions. Uh, We have 14 to 16 uh, providers per battalion. They work 24-hour shifts all by 72 hours off. I have 32 paramedics. The office of the battalion chiefs, all paramedics. Most of my company offices are also paramedics, followed by 24 advanced providers and 10 EMTs. We take EMS very, very seriously here. We provide 24-7-911 coverage to Derry, Auburn, and Chester. We maintain one fully manned ALS ambulance. We have three ALS cross-staffed ambulances. And then we have fifth as a backup. So we have five ambulances available at any given time. Every ambulance is staffed by at least one paramedic, and every engine is staffed by at least a paramedic as well. We're very fortunate in the town of Derry in that if we have a significant EMS event, I can, within a matter of minutes, put four or five highly trained paramedics on scene to provide patient care and to help transport the patient. And that's fairly unique uh, here in New England to put that type of resource um, on scene that quickly. We do not provide non-emergency transports. And on a very rare occasion, we may do an emergency interfacility transport for our local hospital. But we prefer to be available for the 911 responses that we're responsible for within our communities. Thank you. Chuck, uh, just a word to our listeners. Uh, should you have questions, you can go to the bottom of your video screen, touch the Q&A button, type your question in, uh, and I'll be glad to pose them to Chuck. And some of you are already on top of that. So Chuck, I'm going to pose a question from one of our listeners in Virginia. Uh, and they asked if you could explain how you're funded. Are you funded strictly through municipal tax dollars? And do you do a subscription drive each year? Uh, We do not do a subscription drive. We really are driven by tax dollars and the EMS revenue. So we have uh, quite a few personnel. So personnel costs, as you can imagine, are quite high. We go to the community tax base for really cover personnel. We bring enough in EMS revenue, which we take very seriously, to run the EMS operation and the fire operation. So we have a combination of both um, revenue that we bring in from our transport services as well as tax dollars. We're dependent on that tax dollar. We provide a service to the taxpayers at Derry. Understood. Thank you for that question. Um, So Chuck, of course, you know, we can't, with emergency medical services, we can't live in silos. And it's important that we connect on all levels to our community. Can you tell me some ways that you folks go out and connect with your community, community to educate them, to make them understand what they have, what value, what jewel they have in their community uh, through you? 
So one of the things I strive from all of my providers is that we provide the gold level in customer service, that they are polite, compassionate, and professional with every patient encounter regardless. And I hold them and our residents in the highest esteem. As you had mentioned, we're considered a heart safe community. We provide CPR, AED, and Narcan training free of charge the third Wednesday evening of each month to residents, businesses, and organizations of Greater Dairy. We've been doing that now for close to 10 years. And we've trained about 20% of our community, which I'm very, very proud of. We do promote public accessible defibrillators and we support that with on-site training. We provide stop the bleed training as well. I try to impress upon the community the importance of knowing how to do chest compressions and how to control bleeding. I believe that these are essential skills that everyone should know. So we're out trying to promote those as, as much as we possibly can. Sure. Great. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to connect with the public, but how about with other organizations? Uh, I'm sure there's mutual aid agreements, but are there other uh, levels that you uh, work together with the uh, local uh, fire departments outside your area of service? So we look at our, our, our local partners, and we certainly have mutual aid agreements. We work very closely with like-sized departments within our catchment area. Um, we're underway working on a process in which we can develop a collaborative in which we can uh, purchase EMS supplies, disposable equipment, monitors, defibrillators, patient moving devices, uh, and all the supplies. And in addition to fire equipment that we all use, we all do the same job, all use the same equipment. It would make sense to me that we kind of band our money together and, uh, and develop a list of products that we could uh, certainly save the taxpayer a few dollars and ensure that our providers are getting the best possible equipment for patient care. So sure. we work closely with our, our community partners and local departments within our area. Great. How about as far as clinical improvements that you've made in the past uh, two, three years? Anything significant that as far as uh, you've done to better serve your residents? Well, we just recently went through the CAS reaccreditation process, and I'm very proud of the fact that Dairy Fire is CAS accredited, Commission on Accreditation of Ambulance Services. Uh, we have been accredited since 2002. And I think when we started, we were only one of five municipal-based services in the country. Now we're one of, I believe, 18 municipal-based services. Um, it's quite a process to submit the application, but we really looked at it as an opportunity to do a great self-assessment and to allow an, an external organization to come in and to really view our organization from top to bottom. And in the end, I believe that really every fire is able to provide what is considered really to be the gold standard um, for patient care and patient safety, you know, from the American Ambulance Association. So we really tried to promote a high level of care, and we're very proud of the fact that we got CAS accredited. And I'm always willing to help other municipal fire departments that are wanting to go through that same process because we've done it multiple times, and I'd be willing to assist other agencies that would like to pursue that as well. Great. Um, question from Texas, Chuck. Uh, they're asking about the Lucas device. Do you have that on your vehicles? And if so, how many? So each of our ambulances have a Lucas device. And I got to share with you, I wasn't a huge fan. I sit on the New Hampshire Protocol Committee. I'm actively involved in writing protocols here in the state of New Hampshire. And I got to tell you, I'm very proud of the fact that I believe New Hampshire has some of the most progressive EMS protocols. And I'm really proud to be part of that process. So we approved the Lucas device a few years back. One of the fears I had with a Lucas would be that we'd put a Lucas device on and more patients would be transported to the hospital unnecessarily. But we've got through a lot of training in CQI. We use that device um, on every cardiac arrest. 
and they're, they're working them to ROSC and transporting, or they're terminating and leaving the patient on scene. So I haven't seen a change as far as transport with the Lucas, but I do believe it does provide better chest compressions, and my guys really appreciate it. Great. Just a follow-up question, also uh, from the same individual in Texas. What is your average transport times? So that varies greatly. If we're in our contracted communities, it could be 15 minutes. If we're in town, we do have a community hospital, which is a level three. Uh, we have about a five-minute response time to a hospital. Great. Thank you. Chuck, uh, you know, safety, especially crew safety, is always a hot topic nationally throughout our industry. And I'm sure it's no different in dairy than it is in many other places. But have you done anything in the way of safety as far as protecting your crew member, which of course is always a, a huge concern, especially in this day and age of, of violence in the streets and uh, uh, those types of things that come up with, without any notice whatsoever? So that's a great question. A few years back, we put together an ambulance committee tasked with looking at our ambulance design to ensure that the primary care provider could be seated and belted at all times. And we configured that ambulance so that all the EMS equipment and necessary supplies were within arm's reach. Unfortunately, we now have an ambulance that can only transport one secured patient. We can't transport multiple patients, unfortunately. But I believe it keeps it safer for that provider, uh, seat, staying belted, caring for that patient en route to the hospital. Uh, several years back, we made a significant change in our responses. We started to respond to 911 call determinants at the Alpha and Bravo level uh, without warning devices and allowing our apparatus to respond with traffic. I believe that uh, provides a much safer response for both our uh, providers and to our uh, public is here as well. So Alpha level calls as determined by the 911 telecommunicator. I find them to be very accurate and I believe we're making very safe approaches to our response protecting providers and the general public. Great. Thank you. Chuck, the big topic, if you turn on the six o'clock news in any corner of the country, you hear about the opioids, the opioid epidemic, and I'm sure your town is not immune to it. Um, how have you been affected and how have you been addressing this uh, from both within your organization and from an, uh, an outreach in your community? Oh, Gary, that's a really great question. And as you've probably heard through some readings that New Hampshire was hit considerably hard with this opioid crisis. And we knew that this is a problem that was much bigger than the fire department. So we decided very early in this process to start to collaborate and partner with our community health partners. We wanted to bring in as many topic level experts as possible from both the public health network and in from the recovery uh, community as well. And um, we have some departments in the state of New Hampshire that consider them themselves to be safe stations where people can present to the fire station and get recovery resources. We really didn't want to go down that road because we believe we're better suited to go to the emergency and not have the emergency come to us. And most of our stations are empty during the day because they're out running calls. So what we do is very unique here in Derry. We have a process through ImageTrend, our patient care reporting software in which when we have a patient with a substance misuse disorder or an overdose, my paramedics will do an assessment, treat as appropriate, and if they're transported or not, they will encourage them to enter community recovery services. And then they'll try to sell them on signing a HIPAA release to allow us to release their protected health information to our community uh, substance misuse professionals. When they sign that HIPAA release and the paramedic hits a button in the tough book, it automatically sends an email to the, the software, sends that email to the community um, 
recovery organization, they are able to print the entire report, get all the information and call the patient and provide them services and continue to call them. Very unique approach and we have found to be very, very successful. What we did is we mimicked what we do with our fall prevention program in which we do VNA referrals by the same process. When we have a fall in an elderly patient and they're transported or not, my providers will get them to allow us to allow the VNA to come into their home. We saw the fact that we want to keep them safe and, and in their home and healthy, and we want to maintain their independence. So the VNA may, may be able to provide those services. And by them signing a HIPAA release, the VNA gets an email and they call the patient after viewing the report and they're all providing resources. Two very unique approaches to address two very common problems in our communities. Thank you. So how about as far as uh, succession planning and job stress, anything in that level that you're doing for your, your teams? So I believe in having at least two people for every position. And I believe in sharing a lot of responsibilities. As an EMS director, I'm trying to bring up as many of my paramedics as possible. I give them a lot of responsibilities. I have them in the classroom. I have them teaching. They're active members of our CQI process. I really try to give a lot of responsibility to our providers so they have some ownership and they buy in and they perform to a much higher level. This isn't a department that is run by an EMS director, but it's really up there to, as an advocate for our providers in my department to ensure that they have the tools and resources to do the best possible job they can for our community. And I believe having resources and training providers, uh, we're very pro on uh, mentoring. Uh, new hires, we mentor for a promotional process. We give them projects that help improve their chances of getting promoted. New paramedics that we hire, we never put them, assign them to the ambulance. They actually arrive third until a seasoned mentor, uh, paramedic says, okay, now it's time for you to be the primary care provider. We have very high standards for both patient care and for documentation. And it takes a while for someone to really get into the dairy system and learn how we do things. But in the end, I, I'm very confident we provide a high level of patient care with great patient satisfaction. Sure. Uh, we're going to kind of go off script for a second here because I've got uh, a couple questions for you, Chuck. Uh, this one comes from um, our good friends in Oklahoma who join us virtually for every program we have. Thank you for that. So, uh, Chuck, I'm sure you're familiar with cost data collection. They want your take on where you think that's going to take us in the future. So I'm always concerned about our revenue streams coming from both CMS and from private insurance and private pays. We've seen a significant change. Um, we try to anticipate the amount of revenue we'll bring in so we don't have to go to the tax base. And, and you know, I'm really concerned as we look into the future, um, pay for performance, et cetera, and uh, CMS reimbursement. Uh, we depend on that for our communities, and we're really looking at that into the future with some great concern. Good. Yeah, and I think cost data uh, hopefully will work to all of our benefit long term, but uh, it's going to take a while for that to all wash out. At least that's my take on it so far. Um, I would agree. Follow-up question uh, coming to us from good old Pennsylvania, where I sit today. Uh, how about ET3? Is your organization interested in uh, moving forward with this process, and what's your general feelings? So I believe that's probably the future for emergency medical services, and I certainly hope it comes after I retire. I think that is a big change in how we move forward with EMS, but it really does make perfectly good sense to me. I recognize that probably 50% of the patients that we transport, it's really not medically necessary. However, providing the gold standard of customer service, I tell my providers, they call, we haul, no questions asked. But really looking at the ability to send out providers and possibly a mid-level, we can manage a patient without transport, make the appropriate 
uh, appointments, write a prescription if necessary and prevent that transport and reimburse the community for that and the service for that, I think is really the wise thing to do. We have overburdened uh, the EMS response system in this country. We transport so many patients. And again, I believe many of these are not medically necessary. And if we can do more uh, to treat on scene and prevent that transport, I think we'll be doing us all a world of good. And I do believe it is the future. Great. Well, Chuck, you run a pretty well-defined and comprehensive program there, but I got to ask you this question. So what are your challenges right now, Chuck? What's the What's the things that keep you up at night or what the worry you the most coming to work each day? So I don't have a lot of worries. Got to tell you, Gary, I love my job and the people that I work with. I do recognize that I was, I will go back several years ago that I would get 35 very strong applicants for a single position. And now I struggle to get six credible applicants. What I'm finding is a lot of the newer generation are not interested in uh, shift work. They're not interested in public safety, whether it's police, fire, uh, or EMS. We're just not attracting enough people in, back into our industry. Uh, there's certainly a need for some fresh blood and to bring more folks into this industry. Uh, I find that to be a significant um, challenge as we move forward. That is a significant challenge across the country. And I know if we've done these before with other other services, and it's pretty much the uh, the canned answer almost where, you know, it's Getting good quality personnel is 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 tough, even for the the best of organizations like you have there. Um, so, Chuck, based on this, once you get these employees and you get the quality employees, how about as far as retaining them? What are you doing to keep the morale up, to keep them into the organization, and and not running down the street for to go to another organization that may be similar? Well, I've been very fortunate. When I hire an employee, they tend to stay with us long term. Uh, we are a fire union. We have a great state retirement program here in New Hampshire. So I typically have long term employees. And I'm really proud of that. One way that we retain our employees is that uh, we offer a lot of training. We offer a lot of mentorship. We offer a lot of opportunities. Um, if I have an aggressive, very progressive, educated provider that comes in that wants to move up that chain quickly, I'm there to mentor him and to give him those tools. We do provide in-house uh, in-service training to all of our providers. I provide around 2,500 hours of EMS education annually. All providers get in-house training. Uh, we have a high fidelity sim lab. We're able to perform and practice skills in that environment, which I'm very, very fortunate of. Dairy has been kind of cutting edge for EMS in the state of New Hampshire. We piloted many of the new programs. We've been providing rapid sequence intubation um, for well over 15 years, surgical airways, all the advanced medication and procedures and pilot programs in many cases came through dairy. So providers coming here knowing that we're a very progressive fire department and we're looking for cutting edge providers and we're looking to provide the next level in emergency medical services. They select dairy fire to be their, their, uh, their base. Great. Well, thank you. Chuck, how about anything? I'll let you go off script here. Anything else you'd like to tell us about your organization? I will, I will tell you this is proven to be, this forum has proven to be a great opportunity for people to network and learn about other services outside their own backyard. And so if there's any uh, things that you'd like to, to give us as far as just uh, general interesting facts or unique uh, information about your organization, feel free to just pile it on right here. Well, I would like to kind of close by saying that I'm very interested in networking with other communities, even other states, other EMS leaders and professionals from other parts of the country. We all essentially do the same job. 
And whether it's education or purchasing of equipment or procedures or things that we're doing here in New Hampshire. And if we can assist someone maybe with the CAS process and getting them underway uh, towards accreditation, I'm more than happy to do that. I'm more than happy to work with folks with their billing and revenue concerns. I tend to manage the billing and revenue here for the town of Derry. I very much appreciate working with quick bed claims. I've had a very good experience with you folks. I've been doing this for a very long time and I have a very good relationship and I like to work with other departments to kind of show them the ropes and how to, uh, the ability to submit a clean claim and ensure that you get ample um, revenue coming in. But we're a very proactive uh, professional fire department uh, in high regard within our state and community, award winner year after year through state awards. Um, very interesting, we have uh, officers that are also accredited through the, the Center for Professional uh, Safety Excellence. We have 12 accredited fire officers in the state of New Hampshire, only 12, and nine of them work for Derry. So we take this very seriously. We mentor, uh, we promote, uh, we bring up providers that this is their career, this is their long-term goal. We give them responsibilities, we advocate for them, we support them. And I got to tell you, Gary, it builds a one heck of an organization. And you can go home at night knowing that uh, you've turned the organization over to some very, very capable people. From now, the day I retire, and from here on, the organization will continue to flourish and move in a very positive direction. Uh, one more, couple more questions, Chuck. Oh, this last one's a good one, but I'll ask you this one first. Uh, what's your average uh, retention rate? I mean, how? I guess what they're asking here is, what's your average uh, employee length? They've been there for uh, the average is five years, three years, seven years. So I have some employees, uh, I have, we just awarded a 35 year uh, recognition to one of my, my employees just uh, last Friday at an employee Great. luncheon. So typically an employee will stay for the new retirement system requires 25 years or 50 years in age. They'll stay and do their 25. Many will stay to 28 or 30 years. So it's not uncommon to have providers stay a minimum of 20, uh, if not on up to 30 years. Well, that, that speaks volumes to the kind of organization you have. Congratulations. And much of that is credit to you, I'm sure. So thank you for that. And Chuck, we're going to end with a light question here. I find this kind of humorous. This question comes from one of our hospital-based programs in Orlando, Florida. And it reads, I'm a transplant from New England. How's the weather up there? Uh, interesting. We uh, have a lot of rain. It's been very cold these last couple of nights. We've had a couple of snowstorms. Nothing that will accumulate, but uh, it's fall, early winter here in New England. If you like four seasons, uh, New, New Hampshire is the place to go. We have great four seasons. We have a great uh, coastline, uh, which we're 30 minutes away. We're probably two hours from the mountains. New Hampshire has an awful lot to, to offer anyone that wants to come to the, to the Northeast. I spent some time in Florida, and I, for me, it was a great place to visit. I couldn't wait to get back to New England. Well, thanks. Chuck, it has been a pleasure doing this 10Q30 with you. I appreciate you taking time from your very busy day, I'm sure. And thanks to all those who've joined us. Chuck, if uh, folks would need to get a hold or wish to get a hold of you, are you open to that? And if so, how would they do that? Uh, 100%. Again, I, I really enjoy networking with people from across the, uh, the country and anyone that I can assist their help or we can brainstorm together or see what you're doing in your state and your region and your departments and that we might like to institute here as well. Uh, you can contact me at my email at chuckhemian at dairynh.org. I'll see if I can get that up here on the screen. Okay. Uh, and my, my phone number is 603-845-5438. So my email is 
C-H-U-C-K-H-E-M-E-O-N at D-E-R-R-Y-N-H dot org. Great. And if Chuck folks missed that for some reason and they wish to contact me, are you okay with me providing that as well? 100%. Thank you so much. Chuck, my hat's off to you. I wish you and all our listeners from, I was trying to count here, we had about 35, 38 listeners online. It looks like we had about 21 states represented. So that's great. That is awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, thank so, you to all your listeners. And, a, and, a, and again, a great goodbye, a great goodbye from New England. Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You bet. Go Patriots. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. And hey, be safe out there. Hey.